So good to see you. So good to be together and so excited about what the Lord's doing and just to keep creating spaces like that. I want to encourage you, if you, if you find yourself in uh, moments like that in worship where you don't know what to do, it's okay. The Lord's teaching us and He's training us. Um, there's coming a time and a day where we'll learn how to navigate spaces like that better. Um, and the reason why I say we're learning is because we're learning how to deny ourselves how to look away from the natural realm, how to look away from my emotions and what I'm feeling and how to press into that space where it's purely who he is. And when we lean into that space, everything else falls away and we begin to receive the nature of Jesus. And I know that as we create environments and atmospheres like that more and more, people will walk into rooms like this and be instantly healed. Um, <clears throat> something that I was just saying to our team is that I've been praying the last couple of weeks saying, Lord, what does the church have in this hour that you've put inside of your church that our city needs? It's a good question to ask, right? Because he's given us everything of who he is. And so I'm looking at our city and I'm going, right now, what is our city lacking and crying out for? Where's this expression of the answer that we're carrying? And one of the main things the Lord's been highlighting is that we are called to create environments and atmospheres where the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord is honored and where we minister to Him, where we, we're priests unto the Lord. Maybe that, that language sounds funny to you, but we'll unpack it more and more. But a place where He's loved, worshipped, and honored so that people can come in, encounter who He is, hear the word of the Lord, and live in and from His presence. Amen? Amen. See, you are born and you're designed to carry the presence of the Lord for your life. And that's a beautiful thing. When you're in your car, on your way to work, when you're in your room at home, spending time with Him, wherever you are, when you're with Him, His presence is there. But there is a mandate on the church corporately when we come together and carry His presence. There's a mandate when we come together and minister to Him together. Because here's what's so beautiful is that you are carrying a sound and an expression of who He is that is unique. It's beautiful. And when it comes together with other sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, with the family of God, the bride of Christ, there is a fragrance and an expression of His dream that cannot be seen any other way on the earth. So if we lose sight of why we're the church, if we lose sight of why we get together and sing and worship, if, if we honestly think that we come here on a Sunday morning to sing songs to just kind of lift our spirits and feel a little bit better about life, we have reduced and diluted the potency of the church to almost nothing. But if we come together and we know that when I come and bring my few notes, even if they're not in key, and I, my whispered prayer, and my clap, and my shout, and my jump, now, whatever it is, just being in the room, releasing the sound that I carry. When I join with the family of God, I am creating environments of His glory. And the dream of God is that the glory of the Lord would cover the whole earth. And here's the thing. He, I want to just encourage you. He could, he could do it a different way, but He chose this way. He chose to do it through the church. The church, the local church, the expression of His people is the only vehicle through which He will bring the glory of the Lord on the earth. He refuses to do anything aside from partnering with man. It's because he wants a bride. If we, if we don't understand the master plan of the Father, that from the beginning he wanted a bride, if we don't understand that, we'll always question him as to why he does and doesn't do certain things. But if we realize his great longing and desire for a people for his own possession, then we'll understand his heart. We'll begin to understand why 
My little yes that seems so insignificant is actually the most potent and powerful thing I could ever do. Is say yes to Him. Because my yes with your yes and the other person's yes and that person across the world, their yes. And all of our responses to Jesus coming together is creating a movement and an expression of God on the earth that will see the glory of the Lord cover the whole earth. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue will know Him. will see Him. I'm saying this because I know uh, it's been an intense, intense week for a lot of people. I know that it's, it's wild out there. Um, you know, being a, a, a pastor doesn't mean that you um, are sheltered from that. This week we had uh, a strange scammer, psycho person uh, threaten my family, threaten my wife, trying to get money out of us, death threats, all sorts of stuff, just horrific, horrific stuff. Um, had researched me, Googled me, knew my name, my family's names, what I do for a living, where I do it, all that kind of stuff. And, and just the demonic attack of, of trying to intimidate and bring fear. Um, and, uh, and that's in the midst of just you know, normal, intense stress and life stuff. And I can just see it, stress and anxiety and a whole bunch of stuff is going on. And the world is so sick and so fallen that we now actually have people who this is what they do every day is just try and scare people into trying to give them money. Um, it's really, really twisted. They throw accusations at you and they chop and change. They started phoning family members. It's, it was really stressful. And in the midst of all of that, I'm going, wow, okay, Lord, the enemy is coming at every direction to try to do one thing. Take your eyes off of him and what he's doing. Take your eyes off the dream of God. And the moment you take your eyes off of him and you start to look at your, your own little life, your situation, your circumstance, suddenly you become introspective, self-focused, and then you start to question his heart. But the reality is we only question his heart when we're, when we're viewing what he's doing through my personal little individual lens rather than seeing the dream of heaven and going, God, you're doing something that's so much bigger that I get to be a part of. It's my great joy to endure. <clears throat> if we don't have a heavenly vision for our lives, if we don't have a heavenly vision for our lives. It's going to get harder and harder to follow Jesus in these days. You see, because the reality is a heavenly vision for your life is not tied to your desires, your wants, and what you think you need in this life. A heavenly vision for your life is one that is submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. He gets what He wants. If your life is built around that simple truth, Lord, in my life you get what you want. What you desire, you'll have. That's a powerful life lived for Jesus. And I want to just encourage you, don't get wrapped up and lost in the empty promises of this world. Especially right now when, when there's so much stress and anxiety and pressure from work and pressure from people. And pressure, pressure, pressure. You know, in the book of Revelation, I'm not going to go there because we're not going to do eschatology today. But, you know, the, the actual correct translation for tribulation is pressure. Pressure. It's interesting. So if you're feeling pressure, if you're feeling the pressures of this world, if you're feeling the squeezing of life, what a privilege to be alive and to endure. What a privilege to, having done all to stand, stand. And just give Him your yes. Amen? Awesome. Well, we're doing a, a series called Antioch. It's called Antioch because we are reading about it and, and we're looking at scriptures about Antioch. But I want to kind of just explain a few things. I know after last week, 
<clears throat> there might have been some people who were like, you know, I came to church for the first time, and what the heck is Antioch? Why are we talking about that? Who is that? What do we? Uh, it's a it's a quite a strange name or a strange passage to be to be focusing on because there's not a whole lot around it. But I believe it's pivotal to understanding the mandate of the church in this hour. It doesn't take much for us to look around and just see that because the world's going a certain direction, by nature it starts to put worldly expectations and pressure on the church to be something. The world is screaming at us to conform. Right? So the, the scary thing is as the church, if we are not rooted, grounded, and established in the love of God, in the truth, in who He is, and in His dream, that we can slowly begin to drift. And we don't realize it. It happens very subtly. But suddenly we begin to do things as a church that's more man-centered than it is God-focused. We begin to do things that, that it's, it's after pleasing man, after growing, after an image of success, after survival rather than what's the dream of God and how do we say yes to it and let's see His kingdom established. And when you look at scriptures, we, we go into Acts and Acts is a powerful book that gives us the introduction to the church. Jesus does something so profound when He uh, prepares His apostles and His disciples to lead the church. He doesn't give them instructions on how to do it. Serious. I, I really looked for it because I really wanted the manual and I can't find it. But he doesn't seem to do that. He's not going, this is how I want Sundays to look. And home group should be about two and a half hours long. And this is how it should be structured. This is what I want to see. This is the kind of people who should do different things. He doesn't give us any of that. He does one simple, he gives one simple instruction. Do not do anything until you've received the Holy Spirit. It's, it's crazy. It's wild to me. It's like he's, he's going to now ascend to the Father and he's leaving this commission and this mandate to his followers to carry what he's introduced now on the earth that they're going to do even greater things than he did. These are the promises that he's giving them. He's like, you're about to see something that is far beyond anything your mind can comprehend right now. And instead of, here's the, the thousand page manual on how you're going to do this over the next couple thousand years, he gives one instruction, Wait. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll be endued with power to be witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so this is, it's interesting. You read Acts and you go, okay, Holy Spirit is leading the church. It's a really powerful expression. There is leadership. There's structure. There's this beautiful expression of community. But right at the center of it is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if we lose that as the church, then we are no longer the church. You can have a cross up the front, you can have a steeple, you can have you know, stained glass windows, you can have thousands and thousands of people, you can sing the songs and even preach some of the sermons that are in this book. And I'm not sure that qualifies us as a church. Because at the end of the day, the church that Jesus is building, it's His. I think what defines the, what's going to define the true church in this hour is, is it His or is it man's? And so why Antioch? Well, Antioch is this very interesting community. In Acts 11, we're introduced to them, and it's, it's birthed. I shared last week. You've got to go back and listen to the whole thing. But it's birthed out of a, a group of people. We don't know their names. We don't know who they are. It says some people, which is you and me, right? So some people, this little ragtag group of people who were terrified and afraid of the persecution happening in Jerusalem, they ran in fear. There's the birth story of one of the most powerful apostolic churches in the Bible. Fear and running. Far. But they, get to, they run so far that they get to Antioch. I don't even know if you could see it there, but it's really far. Antioch is like kind of between, it's on the border of Syria and Turkey, and Jerusalem's down here somewhere. I mean, it's, it's really far. 
And so they, they go all the way to Antioch. And suddenly, some of them, just a few of them, feel this stirring in their heart to be obedient to the commission Jesus gave us. It's like, we're afraid, we're scared, we've run really far, there's a lot going on. We've only shared the gospel with Jews so far because that kind of is the easiest way to do it right now. And up until this point, it's a, it's a pretty much Jewish movement. Do you understand this? But the, the mandate was not just for the Jews, it was for all nations. Are you with me? And so, some of these people get some boldness that doesn't come from us. It's not our own attempt to be brave. It's the stirrings of the Holy Spirit. It's the power that we've been filled with to be witnesses. And as they stop and remember the Great Commission, they remember what Jesus has given them. They remember what they experienced through the apostles and the disciples. And suddenly this boldness starts to stir. And it says some of them begin to preach the gospel to the Jews and the Greeks. And then the next thing, the hand of the Lord. And the Amplified says the presence and power of God was upon them. All they had to do was be obedient to just preach the gospel. And His presence and power was upon them that multitudes start coming to Jesus. This is the beginnings of Antioch. Now why is it so important? It's important because this community was responsible for, for uh, mobilizing and commissioning Paul into what he was called to do. They actually were part of rescuing the, the, the storyline of heaven in Paul's life. They, they fought for Paul. Guys like Barnabas, you, I preached it last week, go and listen to it again. They went after the dream of God, the destiny of heaven in somebody's life. And they did this for many people. And they became an apostolic and prophetic people that took personal responsibility to see their city transformed and the nations. And they're probably, aside from Jerusalem, because I want to just encourage you, Jerusalem, it took them, some scholars will say, over 10 years before they actually took the gospel beyond Jerusalem and Samaria. That's a long time. It's like Jesus is like, I want you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And 10 years later, they're still in the same city. I, some of you go like, oh, sheesh, that's a bit hectic. I'm like, that gives me a lot of hope because even the Jerusalem church, who had like that crazy upper room moment, they still also had weakness. They still were also learning how to follow Jesus. But it moves me that it took them a decade. And then suddenly you, you we're introduced to this community who become this apostolic center. And, and we went through it last week um, just some of the characteristics of Antioch and why it's so important. And I believe that Antioch is a, is a picture and a prototype, an introduction to us as a church of what it looks like to be the church in the dream of God. Are you with me? When Jess and I, we went to Antakya, which is Antioch, um, which now is rubble pretty much after the earthquake. But before that, when we were there, we went, to, um, we went up to the mountain to what's now called St. Peter's Cave. And there's this cave where the believers used to meet and pray together. It was this kind of secret meeting place. And it has this tunnel that actually goes through the cave all the way through the mountain to the other side of the mountain. And it was an escape route for when people would come to try and, and get them, you know. And, uh, and when we were there, it was just so surreal because I was standing in this valley and looking at these mountains and going, these are the same mountains, you know. Th this is where this community was birthed, where they, where they came alive. But also going, God did something in this little valley that brought the gospel to the Gentile world. God can take, a, can take one community in a little valley that will just say yes to the dream of God, and that community can be responsible for shaping and forming leaders 
who get commissioned to see regional impact and a community that, that, that take personal responsibility for their city. I mean, if you study the history of it, there was a, one of the emperors came in and decided to divide the city with walls based on race, religion. Uh, it was just segregation on a whole different level. It's not, it's not a new thing. This has happened for thousands of years. This is the brokenness of man. And so they actually built walls and separated people. And the Christians were known for digging tunnels, finding ways over the walls, through the walls, under the walls, to get into each other's homes. This is history. This is not, this is, you can look this stuff up. And so Antioch was a really significant city that I believe becomes a prototype for us as the church to stay rooted and anchored in who we're called to be as a community. Are you with me? So last week we read out of Acts 11 from verse 19, um, and then we've, we read in Acts 13 a little bit as well. Um, but I want to just highlight a few things and these are the marks of an Antioch-like community. So I want to be clear about this. We are not trying to be Antioch. Are you with me? We are 24-7, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But we, we're stirring in our hearts to say there's something about this community in Scripture that we learn from that equips us to have regional and global impact. Are you with me? If 120 people in a room could see the whole world turned upside down, what could this group do? And if we don't have that dream in our hearts, we're wasting our time. If we, if we don't have the dream of God in our hearts to say, you know, like in Acts 17 when Paul and the, the team come across, and the way they describe them is, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Panic. I don't know if you understand how powerful your life is when it's given to God. People go, well, you know, I've heard all these stories and I've heard these testimonies, but I'm not seeing the power of God in my life. And I ask you to ask yourself the question, is your life His? Because I know that if your life is His, watch the, the presence and power of God in your life. Watch how he, He's just looking for your yes. He's just looking for a vessel to fill. He is not asking you to be fully all together, have the whole thing figured out so that you can finally see the power of God in your life. He's just looking for your surrender. And so we're not trying to be Antioch. We're trying to be who God's called us to be at this time, but we're learning from Antioch and saying, okay, as the church, God, what are the things that we need to be equipped in to be the community you've called us to be? Are you with me? And so if you, if you weren't planning on coming tonight, please come, because I really do believe that the Lord wants to ignite the vision, values, and mission of this house, which, by the way, is not different. Like, we are not... We're not trying to find a unique vision that's catchy for you that's different to other churches. That's not what this is about. This is about making sure that the, the gospel and the kingdom is alive in our hearts as a community, that we are all looking for ways to find our role, what God is calling us to do in this season, our assignment in this season to serve what He's doing in our city and in the nations. Amen? So you want to be there, and there's also going to be nice food. So um, There better be, team, right? <laughs> Teasing. Um, in the next couple of weeks, we'll introduce to you, we have a, a really incredible young um, leadership team, and I love that. Um, I've had interesting things with people come to me and say, your leadership team's really young, and you need some older voices, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But I, I really feel the Lord going like, no, there's something that He wants to do in 24-7 that is not based on knowledge and trying to be impressive. It's just simple obedience to Him. That's what we're trying to model. Now, do we want more fathers and mothers and older leaders coming through? Yes, please. So, <clears throat> But uh, we want to introduce some of these leaders um, to you and, and our home group leaders, and we have a volunteer staff team. I don't know if you know this. We have a team of people in this church who decided to give up a day of work to serve you. 
I don't know if you, like, I sit in, in pastor's breakfast and have this conversation and we talk about staff teams and the conversation is normally about how hectic it is to try and pay so many staff. And then they ask me, so how do you pay your staff? And I say, I don't. They just gave their day to the Lord. So we'll introduce these teams to you, but I'm moved. I'm going, the Lord's done something in this house. He's continuing to do something in this house. We're, we're getting captured by his dream. We're giving him everything. And I, I've been saying this this last week a lot. Um, just, I, I really believe we've come to a place where it's all or nothing. It's everything. It's, it's, the invitation for you is like, man, I know it's hard. I know life is crazy. I know that the situation and circumstances is difficult, but I, I know that if we'll give him everything, if we'll follow Jesus and just be obedient to him, he's got you. He knows your heart. He's holding you. He's got your life. He's got these promises in Scripture. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Can I just say this? I think a dangerous place to be right now would be to follow your dream. It's a dangerous place to be. We all have personal dreams. We all have personal goals and personal aspirations. And I'm telling you, we're, we're in a time now where it's act, there's, not, there's not, not enough time to take detours like that when our lives were never after that. We, we, you know, we have these scriptures like, delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. And we go like, okay, my thing is to delight myself in Him and then He'll come and breathe on my desires for what I have planned for my life. It's not the gospel. I don't know a single person that followed their dream and is happy. I promise you, I've, I've looked across my life and I'm, I'm going, who can I look to and go? I mean, I, I've been in... Um, I had a friend years ago, really wealthy guy, very, very wealthy guy, who actually asked me to sit in on his board meetings because he liked the fact that I opposed him on certain things that he did, where he would share stuff and I'd go, no, that's actually not, that's not a good idea. This is what the gospel's about. And he was like wrestling with this tension. And so he'd say, I want you to sit in on my board meetings and, and on these meetings because I, I, I need somebody who's prepared to bring this perspective, you know. It doesn't work. Because the gospel is not a cause you sign up for. The gospel is not something that you, you know, you just need that gospel voice speaking into your decisions. That's not how this thing goes. It's die to yourself, die to your dreams, die to your aspirations, die to your own desires, die. I'm just, I'm, I'm being very direct, but you know what I'm saying? And it's, Lord, what is your dream? And I give my life to that. I use the, the example all the time, but I, I've, for weeks now, I've been really mocked by my friend, this Mongolian brother who was so smart that NASA was willing to pay for his studies so that he could be a rocket scientist or aeronautical engineer at NASA. I mean, this is like, the guy's a genius. And he's going to make so much money if he does that. And, and his whole life, he was preparing for something like that, knowing I've got the, the, the potential to do something like that. And then he meets Jesus. And he goes, I don't want to do any of that stuff anymore. What's, what's Jesus' dream? Oh, Jesus wants every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Okay, I'll sell everything I have, be rejected by my family. He, does, he can't even go back to his own family. Rejected by everybody. And I'm going to move to one of the largest unreached nations in the world and live in a tiny little dorm somewhere and trust God and serve people for as long as, as he'll use me. Wild. My point is... I've seen so many people come and say, the Lord's really blessing me in this season and I'm excited because as the Lord's blessing me, I am going to use this blessing for the kingdom. 
not the gospel. I've been thinking about this the last couple of days and I'm being direct because we're there, guys. Let's be real. We're there. We're in the days that that we, we spoke about. We just have to shake our heads and go, yeah, it's pretty wild out there. But it's interesting how we are constantly looking for a way to have my thing and have a part of that that's the Lord so that I can say that I'm signed up to the kingdom. I don't get to be blessed so that I can bless the kingdom. I am in the kingdom. (laughs) I'm dead to myself, alive in Him, and He's the King of my heart and my life. I am not trying to make money for the kingdom. (laughs) It's all His anyway. Because the thing is, this is what comes with this mentality. If I'm trying to make money for the kingdom, it means that a lot of my life isn't kingdom. And I have to use the things that are not kingdom to make money for the kingdom. And I'm not seeing the kingdom in front of me every single day. I think, I didn't know I was going to cross this line today and I'm crossing it very hard. I, don't, I think we've, we've come to a place where we cannot be okay with trying to find places of compromise so we can still do our thing. Looking for places of compromise so I can still do my thing, the thing that I really, you know, because we're, we're so wrapped up in ourselves that it's like, but, but God must have put that in me because I love doing that. I love soccer. And I'm d- decent at it. And I, when I was young, I, there was opportunities and things, and, and I could have gone places and done stuff. I still love soccer, and if Manchester United phoned up today and said, you want to come play for us, it would be really difficult to say no. So, so God must have put this desire and talent and skill to play soccer in me. But here I am pastoring a community in a farmhouse in North Riding and going to the Middle East to lay my life down to die for the gospel. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Or God put this ability in me to play music. I love music. I was in a sick band once. I wrote some cool songs and we played in some dingy pubs. We were on our way up to fame and success. That's where I met Damien. And Matt, actually. They were the dingy pubs. But my point is, so I have musical talent and I have a dream because guess what? Once upon a time, my dream was to be a professional soccer player. Then once upon a time, my dream was to play Joburg Day. And then it was to be a rock star. And, then it was... and the reality is I look at all these things, I go, yeah, those things are in me. I love music, I love sports, I have talents, I have all those things. And, and I could have said, well, my dream is this. My dream, is that. Well, my, my dream changes based on seasons, based on what I feel, based on what the world says, based on what opportunities open for me or don't open for me. An opportunity opens, well, that's my dream, we've got to do that. Ooh, careful. You might just be taking yourself totally outside of God's plan and will for your life. If the gospel worked where God was, was to affirm and bless our dreams, then at 14, 15 years old, I would have gone overseas to play soccer and probably would have been an absolute mess. Either would not have made it and been, I don't know, some crazy guy in the UK headbutting people in bars. Because that's what my grandpa was like. So I'm joking. <laughs> then he got radically saved. But. but my point is, if that's how the gospel worked, we'd be a, well, and this is a fair point what you start to see is very messy lives with a Christian label on it. 
Instead of lives that are just yielded and laid down and saying, Lord, it's yours. Everything I have is yours. We can't sing, all is for your glory. I lay it all down. You're worthy of it all. Sing these things. But actually, my heart is going, Lord, if you can just make this thing work. I promise you on the end of this, if there's reward to what I want, I'll give it to you, God. What you're saying is, I'm yours with terms and conditions. We've got to be very careful that we don't add spiritual language to self-nature. We've got to be careful that we don't over-spiritualize the self-nature. Rather, can I just be honest with you? Rather just be humble and real about the fact that that's where you're at. Rather just come before the Lord and go, Lord, actually my selfish desires, dreams and aspirations are pretty loud right now and I need you. See, that, that heart posture God uses. Because he comes in and fills that space. But when we walk around actually thinking that we're quite spiritual, have something to say, spiritualizing our fleshly desires, putting language to stuff, it's arrogance and it's a, it's a defense mechanism because we're trying to protect our hearts. But the reality is what we're doing is very slowly just drifting away from the direction that God has for your lives. And the thing is, he's faithful to bring you back, but stop going on the detour round and round and round. Can I just say this? The answer to what you are facing right now is one simple thing. Die to yourself. The answer to the struggle, the answer to the wrestle, the stress, the anxiety, whatever it is, the answer to it is not on the other side of a new venture, a new decision, a fresh strategy. It's die to yourself. Okay, so Acts 11, there's a couple things I want to highlight. And if you've got the time, you should go read this and read through it slowly, specifically from verse 19 on. But there's a couple things that are marks of the community in Antioch. And we're going to talk about it locally for our city. And then we're going to talk about it regionally for our our country, our continent, and the ends of the earth. Are you with me? Is everybody okay? Sorry, I know I went, I zoomed in there, super intense, shot a few things, and we're coming back. Everyone good? Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, if you need the final kill shot, just let me know. I can go back in. (laughs) Have you guys seen that movie? It's a date night where he turns the gun. It's like the kill shot. I can do that. Half of you don't know what I'm talking about. Cool. Okay, Acts Acts 11, the, the local expression of what happened in a city. Here's what I want you to see. First point. There was preaching and demonstration of the gospel. There wasn't just preaching of the gospel. There was preaching and demonstration of the gospel. we got to make sure that we are not just the people walking around with a message, but that we're carrying the power of the Holy Spirit to cause that message to, to bring life and transformation to people's hearts. So as 24-7 church, if we're looking at this time and this season and we're allowing Holy Spirit to build the foundations of this house for what's coming, we have to know what it means to be the church. We have to know what it means to be 24-7. And one of the first things we see here is that we are called to preach and demonstrate the gospel. It's our mandate. I don't know if you know this, but before you're called to anything else in your life, you're actually called as a son or daughter to be a witness You can't be a witness of something you haven't seen. 
So, so when we come together and we worship and we see Him and we receive Him, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with power to be a witness here in Johannesburg, to Gauteng, South Africa, and the ends of the earth. Amen? Second thing is, there's this beautiful thing that we see in Acts 11 with Barnabas. You know, once they, the Jerusalem church hears about Antioch, they send Barnabas, and the community submit to this. Do you see that? Something started by a group of no names, and they send Barnabas from Jerusalem to come check it out, and the community actually have this posture of apostolic submission and partnership with the church in Jerusalem. And so the next thing is, as a community, we're called to be submitted to other leaders and communities in our nation and the nations of the earth that we are co-laboring with and partnering with. And in the coming weeks, we'll unpack that. The next thing we see, the grace of God was on them. This is my favorite one. The grace of God was on them. This was not just the message that they were being taught. They were experiencing that the gospel of grace had touched their hearts, changed and transformed them. But then I asked the next question, what does it look like for the grace of God to be on a community? What does it look like? Well, it's amazing because it starts to produce something and we'll get there. It, it produces the manifestation of Christ in and through the church. See, what grace says is that you cannot do this in your own strength. That Jesus paid the highest price and that He's filled you with His Spirit so that He can do it in you and through you. That's what grace says. That produces the manifestation of Jesus in you and through you and in us and through us as a church, as a community. Are you with me? I feel like we've got to go back and do a whole series on grace because you're looking at me like, you get, you get what I'm saying? If the grace of God is on us, it produces Christ. It doesn't produce... Loosey-goosey, do what you want. It produces Christ. Right? Okay. Thank you. More amens, shorter preach. No amens, longer preach. <laughs> we see Barnabas, he, he has this encouragement to the church to stay true and devoted to the Lord. This is key. He's talking to a community and what he recognizes, because he uses the word stay. So when he gets there, he sees that they are true and devoted to the Lord. This is a community that's living for him. They're devoted to him. They're ministering to him. And his encouragement is, don't deviate from this. As you're growing, as God's moving on the house, as more people are coming and getting saved, as you're seeing the power of God, signs, wonders, and miracles, stay true and devoted to the Lord. This is a word to 24-7 right now. We've, we just had Rob Rufus and Izzy, and, and these are gifts to the body that have been here. And the word of this house has been rapid growth and increases coming. There's words like, there's a, a gear change where God's going to make you go faster but use less fuel. These are exciting words, but I hold these as a leader and I go, wow, we have, we have an opportunity to steward this well. And we need to make sure that the foundations of what we believe as a church, the foundations of why we do what we do, are rock solid in our hearts. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. The power of God can come. Numbers can come. We can explode in growth, but we must stay true and devoted to the Lord. Because, you know, a lot of people uh, come to the, this, the farmhouse and they love this because it's authentic, it's raw, and it's family. There's nothing really impressive. We try to paint the walls black and stuff, you know, try and make and the geezer's covered. There's a geezer behind there that's covered. I haven't mentioned that in a while. All the new people, there's a geezer there. We covered that up. We try to, we've tried to cover things up, make it look a little bit, there's a basin behind this thing. There's lots of stuff here. But people come here and go, I love the authenticity. I love the rawness. 
I love that it's real. I love that it's family. And I'm going, that has nothing to do with the farmhouse. That has to do with the people. Yes, we have a beautiful view, and that's really nice to look at. But the reality is, the mandate of the church is to grow and to see people come to know Jesus. It's not our job to do it. He'll do it. But it's our job to steward environments, atmospheres, and the purity and potency of the gospel of grace. So we've got to stay true and devoted to the Lord. What you see in Antioch was equipping and training that produce, produced the manifestation of Christ in and through the church. There's very clearly for a whole year, they met together and taught. And in a year, they went from radical people just getting saved to society looking at them and saying, you look like Christ. One year. It's possible. <clears throat> the next thing we see is insane generosity. So in light of what I said in the beginning, am I against money? No, I'm not against money, as long as it's under the lordship of Jesus. Because there's only two gods, or two, two lords, two masters in our lives. God or mammon. And my Amplified Bible says that mammon is basically anything that would try to take the place of God in your life. It's super intense. But my point is, generosity is an aspect of what we carry as a church. So is God going to bless the church, or has God blessed the church? Yes. Do I have an expectation for provision in my life? Yes. How the heck are we supposed to get to 3.2 billion people if we don't have the money to get there? So of course we need the finances. But they are not going to come from you following your dream. They are not going to come from your great idea that you think is going to work. It has to be Him. If it's not Him, don't do it. It can sound so good. It can sound brilliant. It can sound like it must be Him. It's got to be Him. It has to be His voice. And can I just tell you how you hear His voice? This is just practical tools. Yes, you hear His voice for you. You hear Him in your heart. You hear Him through the Word. But then guess what? God placed you in a community where He can confirm a word, where others can begin to speak in. There's accountability that helps you keep walking in step with the Holy Spirit. If you do this on your own, you're going to get taken out. We need community in this season. Life gets crazy. Life, life gets difficult. Church is not about, well, I've signed up to this thing where I feel good and all that and they make me feel good about myself. No. You're a part of a family. You need one another. You don't need me. You need one another. I cannot possibly pastor each one of you and disciple each one of you effectively. It's impossible. But together, in the Holy Spirit, as we're being equipped in Him, we can see a healthy community developed. Amen? So we see generosity. They send financial aid for a region. That's, that's probably a fair amount of money. Next thing, prophetic integrity. A, a, a prophet, if you're here and you're new and you're going, what is going on right now? What are you talking about? Just hang on. Keep listening to the series. We're working our way through it. Um, otherwise, Jamie's in the back. He can explain everything. He's got a great email address. He loves this kind of thing, to explain these things to people. And he's got a lot of time on his hands as well. So. Love you. Um, this is why you have to keep looking at me and smiling, otherwise I start calling people out, <laughs> teasing. Prophetic integrity. There's a prophet, his name's Agabus. He chooses to come to Antioch to release a word that has regional impact. Do you get that? Like, he didn't go to Jerusalem, where, which is interesting because that's where the whole thing was going to happen. He goes to Antioch to say something's coming to that, that region, and we need to be a community that can, with prophetic integrity, steward this word and respond rightly. Are you seeing this? 
They weighed and responded to the prophetic word. They weighed it, and, and it says at the end there, um, so the disciples decided to send a contribution, each according to his individual ability, to the believers who lived in Judea, and they sent it via Barnabas and Saul. So they come together, and they weigh this word, and they go, okay, let's measure this prophetic word. Is it God? Yeah, we resonate with the community, the leaders. This is the Lord. This is a directional prophetic word for a region. Now we have responsibility that we've heard and received it to respond well. So they get together and each according to their own ability pull together a fund and they basically are able to financially help the church in Jerusalem during this time. Incredible. Prophetic integrity. The next thing is they are globally slash regionally minded. Because, and we'll see this in Acts 13, we're going to get there in a second. But they take personal responsibility to respond to the needs of a region. Okay. We've been working into uh, Eurasia for two and a half years. An earthquake hits the region. And these are now people who we consider our friends, our family. Why do we go? Why do we try and bring support and love and encouragement and financial aid and all those different things? Because this is what it means to be the church, to take personal responsibility for the things that God cares about, not just in my life, but across the nations. That's a great word, Connor. You are on fire this morning. It's insane. I don't know if you see that. It's just, it blows my mind. It's like, I'm a part of something that's so much bigger that my little contribution with your contribution and, and everyone coming together, we can have regional impact if we will operate in oneness, with one vision, one mind, one heart, one purpose. And I promise you with all my heart this morning, you're not going to be fulfilled in your life until you lock in with that vision. You are not going to be fulfilled with what you're doing until you lock in with the dream of God. It's His dream. It's what you were born for. Acts 13, we see this really powerful leadership team, ragtag group of people, different types of personalities and stories. and um, it's, it's really interesting to me. But if you read from verse 1 all the way through until verse 5, it kind of outlines what they were doing as a leadership team. And this stirs my heart. The leaders of the church get together and they're having a leadership meeting. And their leadership meeting is this, to minister and serve the Lord. Minister to and serve the Lord. They, they get together and they're worshiping God. They're praying and fasting. The word is liturgeo and it's where we get liturgy from. It's priestly rhythm of life. That's what they were doing as a leadership team. We're, we're starting to cultivate this and we're going after it as a church saying, okay, everything we do has to be presence-centered. What does that mean? It means His presence is the top of the list in what we want and what we go after. So we get together and we spend time praying, fasting, worshiping, and being with Him. Because what happens is when you do that, you create atmospheres and environments for the Holy Spirit to lead the church. How, how should you lead your family? Light to gayer. Creating environments of worship and prayer together to say, we're going to let the Holy Spirit lead us. How should you lead your businesses? Worship and prayer to say, Holy Spirit sitting on the CEO chair of this company. And we're going to worship and pray and wait for Him to lead us as to what He wants us to do. Great. Um, we see something interesting. They, they, so they're doing this lighter, gayer rhythm of life. 
But it says in the beginning that at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Now it's funny because people go like, okay, yeah, so Barnabas, uh, Paul, and all the guys, they, they all had the, uh, the fivefold gift of prophet and teacher. And I'm like, well, that makes no sense because then why give all five if we only need two to function as a church? That's not what they're saying here. They're not highlighting two gifts and saying there were only prophets and teachers in Antioch. That would be inconsistent with Scripture. It would be inconsistent with what Jesus has called the church to walk in. can't be that. What are they highlighting? In this season that Antioch were in of training and, and, and being equipped, there was the prophetic and there was teaching. There was spirit and word. Have you seen this? This was a community operating by the Spirit in the prophetic nature that we have because of Jesus, but they were also rooted, grounded in truth, in the Scriptures, in the Word. This is a community where Spirit and Word are operating together. Their leadership team is operating in Spirit and Word. We need that as a house. We'll unpack that one later on. There's diversity of a leadership team. They're team-orientated. The team's ministering to the Lord. There's this priesthood, and they create atmospheres for God to speak and lead His church. They're presence-focused and centered. And then this one rocks me. They send their best. Like, I, this, I really, I think about this, and I go, man, that's in today's age. It's like the leadership team gets together and you've got Barnabas, apostolic father. You've got Paul, this fiery apostolic calling on his life. He's, he's training and equipping. And then you've got the rest of the team, amazing. Uh, I mean, one of them, just, just to, to kind of bring balance to what I'm saying, you know, Menaean, who's a lifelong friend of Herod, was a wealthy man. He was a wealthy man. So this is not against people having money, but he was a wealthy man surrendered and submitted to the Lord that he was actually on leadership at the church, <laughs> serving the dream of God, taking time to be in prayer, fasting, and ministering to the Lord. Detour. Um, they sent their best, so they create this environment and the Holy Spirit says to them, like, can you just... Picture this, the, 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 te- the leadership team is praying, fasting, ministering to the Lord, creating an environment for God to speak. And he goes, here's the word of the Lord for you. Give me your best leaders. I want to send them miles and miles away. Like what, what it takes to be an apostolic community is to be ready to send our best to see whole regions transformed. It's why we have to continually be developing and raising up more and more mature sons and daughters, more and more leaders, because there's so many more places God wants to reach, so many more communities that God wants to plant. Because the thing is, uh, let me get there. Communities transform nations. We'll get there in a second. See, Antioch became a people of presence. And the community became a point of apostolic and prophetic convergence and confluence. It really stirs my heart to think that Antioch became this community where when you, were, when you were moving apostolically into the nations, you went via Antioch. And it's not just Paul and Barnabas. We, there's so many times in Scripture we see Paul, Barnabas, Agabus, Peter, John, Silas, and others that come to Antioch. Why, why come to Antioch? Why did Peter end up in Antioch? Why did John spend time in Antioch? And this is just in, in the, the Scriptures. If you look afterwards with um, Ignatius and, and some of the other uh, early church fathers and this was a strategic city where people came through for apostolic and prophetic assignments. There's something about the culture of the church in Antioch that became a greenhouse to develop leaders like Paul and others who saw regional impact. This is what I'm trying to, trying to get at. If we can see this right now, 
I hope this is not going over our heads. I'm like, Lord, help me to find language for this. Can you just imagine this? Being a community that creates an environment where we are developing and shaping a people that are carrying the gospel with such fire and zeal that you're actually dreaming about cities and regions. You're actually, you're feeling the groan and the cry in your heart to see whole people groups come to know Jesus. You're suddenly feeling the groan and the cry to see your whole work environment come to know Jesus. Your city, the people in your world that you see every day, suddenly something in you has come alive to see the gospel transform that. Are you getting this? And that's cultivated in a community that are grabbing a hold of the dream of God and will say, I will die a thousand deaths every day to my own dreams, my own aspirations, my own goals to say yes to the one dream that matters. It's the dream of heaven. Revival in Ephesus, Acts 19. I believe what happened in Ephesus was even more insane and intense than probably what happened in Jerusalem. Because in two years, the whole west coast of Turkey heard the gospel. See, you've got to read your Bible and go, this is possible. We've become so tamed and so, so lukewarm and so diluted in what we think is possible. I'm going, it took two years for the whole west coast of Turkey to hear the gospel. And it started from Paul walking up to 12 people who had heard the, the message that John preached, you know, baptism of repentance, but they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Paul walks in and goes, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they go, who's he? And he preaches the gospel to them, baptizes them again. In the fullness of the truth, they receive the Holy Spirit, and suddenly there's this explosion of the church in Ephesus. Revival hits a city. The, the industries of witchcraft and idolatry come crashing down. It is financial crisis for a city, but the glory of God is covering the region. <laughs> a riot breaks out. We went there. I sat in the uh, amphitheater where this took place. A riot breaks out. And thousands of them getting together and they're like freaking out because they're, the idol worship stuff is crashing. The industry is crashing. These guys have come in and they're preaching the gospel and this thing's being turned upside down. And hey, we're losing money here. And Paul is so crazy, he wants to go. He's like, put me in the middle of them. And, and the other disciples have to hold him back. He's going, just let me go in and talk to them. And they're going like, you're dead if you go in there. Are you? <laughs> Antioch creates people like that. Throw me in the lion's den of crazy Ephesians. <laughs> Think about this. Look at, I'd encourage you to read Acts 19, what happened in Ephesus, and then go read the book of Ephesians. What Paul is addressing. Ah, oh, something happened in Ephesus. Revival changed a city that impacted a whole region. And Antioch's faithfulness was a part of that story. Our faithfulness in a city like Johannesburg as a community, can be a part of the story of revival breaking out on the other side of the world. Uh, okay, how am I doing for time? Two minutes, that's not going to happen. Let's try. Um, two questions that I want to ask this morning. What does it mean to be 24-7 for our city? When we, when we, as a family, my mom and dad planted 24-7 church 18 years ago. They are on sabbatical now. If you're here for the first time, about a month ago. When was the handover transition? About a month ago. It feels like a year ago. A month ago, um, Jess and I took over from my mom and dad. They're still on team with us. Love them to bits. They started the church 18 years ago. And uh, they read this book called Red Moon Rising. And it was the story of 24-7 prayer and worship taking place. It was breaking out all over Europe. 
And basically, it's a group of young people who would go into clubs and turn nightclubs into prayer rooms. There's a group of young people who would, you know, in their businesses, they would ask the CEOs for one room. Can I have one room that I can set up a space where there's just constant environment of prayer and worship taking place so that people can come in and go out? This kind of stuff was happening and this movement exploded over the region. And my mom and dad asked this question, what would it look like if the church took that kind of responsibility for their world? That it's not just prayer rooms, it's actually the people of God, the church, becoming this expression. And so they called the church 24-7. And the first question we get asked all this time has been, why do you call it 24-7? Are you actually open 24-7? It's interesting how the first thought is a place. And I believe that there's a key in that, that one day I would love to be open 24-7 where we have so many worshipers and singers that are, we have a room where there's, there's, just, there's continual worship happening. You can wake up at 3 a.m. and you can't go back to sleep, so you get in your car and go to the prayer room. I long for that. I long to have that space. But that's not why we're called 24-7. We're called 24-7 church because the church, the church globally, is called to be a 24-7, 365 expression of the dream of God until, until Jesus returns. Amen? So the question is, what does it mean to be 24-7 for our city? And the second question is, what does it mean to be 24-7 for the nations? Can I say this? You are 24-7. You. Your family. Your business. Your yes. It's a 24-7 expression. And it's not a 24-7 expression of the organization 24-7. It's not what we're after. It's a 24-7 expression of who Jesus is. This is what He's inviting us into as the people of God. We together are 24-7. We have these, these lines, descriptions that we have on our website, and it's something we use to describe what we're after. We're a bride for His glory. We're a body for His name. We're a dwelling place for His presence. 24-7. Till Jesus comes. And then from there, it'll just be eternity anyway. You with me? A 24-7 expression of the dream of God. So here's some language to what we are cultivating as a house and where we're going. And, and that's why you've got to stick with us. You can't miss Sundays. You've got to be here because these next couple of weeks are vital to get the heart, the culture, and the language of what we are building. And I'm going to share some news in a second. But here's some language. We want to cultivate atmospheres and environments of His presence and glory through ministering to Him. <clears throat> When we were praying earlier, we were just saying, do we realize, do we understand that even your whisper is a contribution, your whispered worship, your whispered prayer is a contribution to cultivating the atmosphere and environment of heaven here on the earth together as a church. It's our mandate. So we want to cultivate these atmospheres and these environments of His presence and glory through ministering to Him. We want to disciple cities and regions in the presence and power of Jesus by reaching individuals and families with the gospel of grace. I said this maybe last week or the week before. You cannot vote in politically the morals that you don't teach at your dinner table. You're not going to see South Africa change because we get the right president or the right government. Families will transform this nation. Fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters. We disciple cities and nations by reaching families. And, and you can say, well, what about individuals? That's why I said individuals and families. But if there's an individual, we've got to bring them into family. Because we carry the spirit of adoption. It's the Holy Spirit. Families 
will transform cities and regions, and we need to reach them with the gospel of grace. Why, why do I say the gospel of grace? Because there is no other gospel. It's the grace of God that changes us, transforms us, and makes us like Him. Lastly, we want to develop and commission healthy and mature leaders. This is vital. We want to develop and commission healthy and mature leaders to advance and expand these things. Worship in the nations, the gospel preached and demonstrated to every people group. We have a whole bunch in South Africa, by the way. And local churches established and strengthened. We want to, we want to be a, a, a greenhouse, at least a green room, a greenhouse that, that develops and commissions healthy people, healthy sons and daughters, mature leaders that can begin to advance and expand worship in our city, in our nation, the nations of the earth. That we can begin to see local churches planted and strengthened and that we can preach the gospel to every people group until every tribe and tongue is heard. It's real simple. It's in your Bible. Can I just ask you this question? If this doesn't excite you, do you have a relationship with Him? I'm, I'm being honest because I, I've been in a place where before the Lord marked me with this, I was critical of, of some of the nation stuff that was going on. I was critical because I was like, yeah, oh, this is just that nation's thing, you know? Parachurch ministries and, psh, and all that. Till he gripped my heart with his heart and till I saw faces and people and, and now no names and find out about people groups and things that are going on and you go, this is the Lord's heart for the nation. So I'm going, if we're talking about reaching regions and cities and it doesn't move your heart, I ask you to do me a favor and go be with him. Go take a map, put it on the floor and say, God, I'm not getting off this floor until you show me what you care about here. Because there's a bigger plan and a bigger dream and a bigger master plan than just your success as a human being. Every single one of us feel this pull and this draw for adventure and significance. You all have it. It's in you. It's like you know there's a desire to be great. Even the disciples had it, and they asked Jesus the question, who's the greatest? Are you catching this? Who's the greatest? They asked him the question, meaning they, they had it too. The longing, of, well, I want to be great. I want to be the one that, that you know, sits at your right hand. I want to, and he goes, the least. The least. Those are the greatest. That says something about the kingdom. That says something about God's dream. That says something about maybe what the direction of your life is going to look like. That doesn't mean poor. Hear me. That doesn't mean lack. But it's a heart posture. I will always take the lowest place when I'm in Jesus. If I choose to exalt myself above somebody else, thinking that I'm any better, if I refuse to prefer my spouse or that business person or whatever, what it means is I put myself back on the throne of my heart. This is not, I'm not saying this to, to say, hey, flip the switch and get it right. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying the only way to walk this with Jesus, the only way to follow Him is to give Him everything, to give Him your heart, to yield to Him. He'll do it. Choose the low places, watch what He does. This is the greatest hour for the church. And I think people have been saying that um, for a long time. But can I just be real with you? We will be saying that day by day as we go because it's just getting more and more urgent. You know, people ask questions, well, how long do you think it is till Jesus comes? And we have this very uh, lineal perspective, like this timeline of where are we on the timeline? Because if you think we're close, I better start getting things together, you know? And, and it's, it's sad because I actually think the, the, the timeline, if you want to call it that, is connected to how quickly the gospel is being preached. Because he said the gospel will be preached to all creation and then the end will come. What if we hasten the day by being obedient to the Great, the great Commission? I, um, it's a good thing I have a team of people around me and you're going to see new faces and young faces that are coming to preach, old faces too. You'll have new, new faces as we're training people up that will preach from this pulpit because I know I'm intense. I know that I might be saying things a little bit straight and it's like, Eesh, and it, I feel it too, by the way, because when I'm saying this, it's for my own life as well. But I am, I'm really done with playing uh, church games. Are you with me? Um, I just feel it in my gut, man. It's like God's about to ask us to do some wild and crazy things for Him. I want to be ready to say yes if He asks me to do the most insane things. If He asks me to sell the field, will I sell the field? Like Barnabas. I just know it's we're there. It's like what God wants to do in 24-7 and He's going to do it in the church globally. But I really believe He has us positioned right now. It's a, it's a crucial moment. Will we say yes to what He's doing? Will we say yes to, to what God is doing right now in this moment? I believe He'll use us as a community, as a prototype, as an example to inspire, to mobilize and commission others to say yes so that we don't just have Sunday morning or Sunday service-centric churches. We actually become a priestly rhythm of life, a 24-7 living expression of the gospel in everything that we do. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. So we want to see, the reason why we have things like home groups is because this is not it. This is a, this is, this is a little bit of what we do. This is the war room. This is the... This is where we come worship Him, get equipped. When you walk out of here, I always pray that you walk out of here kind of with a little bit of edge, with a little bit of a burning thing in your eye, like God's about to do something wild and I'm in this. And that's what this is about. But getting in each other's homes is where you actually find out what people are going through, where you can actually walk with people, encourage people, love people. And can I just say this? Family costs everything. I know everybody, including myself, we all have stuff. It's difficult to get to home group. I know. When 6.30 comes and home group starts at 7 and you just got home, you're exhausted, you probably had a blowout and swore at the guy at the, you know, I get it. Or you're stressed and tired and you got kids and you got dinner to do and you, whatever, I get it. It's not an excuse. 
And I'm not, I'm not putting that as a heavy to say like, hey, if you're not going to home groups, get your act together. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, don't justify it and go like, well, no, I'm just not a hungry person because my life just doesn't make room for that. I'm going, no, let the Holy Spirit help shape and define your values so that you can get in on the dream of God. Don't sit on the bench. Get in. Get in the game. Get involved. Get, and yeah, it's costly and it's tiring. And yeah, I yawn at home group too. You know, there's times where you're halfway through home group and, you know, there's always, we all get chatting and someone's telling their story and you're tired and you're like, the Lord loves you. And I get it. I know. We all do that. I see people doing that to me while I'm preaching. But we're invested. Because even if you didn't hear my story, I know you love me. And the reality is, even if you're yawning while I'm telling the story, you're here. You're at the table with me. Can I just say something? Just direct you. Two hours on a Sunday morning, two hours on a Wednesday night. That's four hours out of our week. And it's too much. But my life is yours, Lord. <laughs> Kill shot. There it was. Sorry. I had to just put it down. Yeah. But can you just see what I'm saying? Four hours. Oh, my word. Okay. I know I've preached a bit longer. Four and a half hours. Got to ask the good questions in our hearts to say, Lord, What's, what's designing my life, you or this world? Yeah. We haven't even got to prayer room hours yet. Can you imagine then when all of you will be leading prayer sets? You're going to see Auntie Catherine singing, belting it there. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, mental image. Just <laughs> We're in a place right now and I'm, this is me wrapping up in two minutes. We're in a place right now where I, in the last week, have had people from different countries reaching out to me, asking us for teams. And they're asking us for teams because they've met a handful of us and going, this is direct. In fact, I'm going to use, can I use you guys as a testimony? Um, Jason and Yancy went to Dubai. They were part of the 50 hours there uh, in the Arab Gulf. And what was amazing is that I was on a call with um, one of the leaders of the organization, and this is what they said to me. If, if South African workers are like them, send me all of them. That's such a testimony. They're going like, God's doing something in South Africans. Like, if that's what South Africans are like, send them. We need them. So now we've got people, I mean, literally in the next four, four, four five months, we need to, like, mobilize three teams. I'm going, okay, Lord, I don't know how to do that. We trust you. In February, we want to send our first three-month, 90-day placement team into Eurasia that will go and serve for three months on the ground. We've got to train. We've got to equip. We're there. I don't know if you're seeing what I'm saying. We're there. It's like you can look at this and go, how are we going to do it? Well, it wasn't us. God pulled us here. Like I'm holding on for dear life going, Lord, I don't know how we're supposed to carry all this. And he's going, I didn't say carry it. I said be obedient. He's doing it. And so some of you, I just know in the next couple of months, God's going to drop that assignment in your heart and you're just going to know. And it's probably going to, he's probably going to ask you to make some wild, crazy decisions that all of the world and your family are going to look at you and say, you're nuts. Why would you do that? Sounds like God. With that, we have a venue that has opened up, a new venue. And nothing is finalized yet, but there's been kind of verbal agreement on Friday around settling on the, all the technical stuff and, and just looking at that. And so I want to invite you 
to, over these next couple of days, really join us in prayer that if this is the Lord, which we believe it is, that it's going to just click. I want to sign on Monday. So I'm like, please, Lord Jesus, which is tomorrow um, or Tuesday. Um, but there's, there's a space that's, if I can describe it like this, it's, it's really cool. Um, it's a space for us to grow into, but the facilities literally match what we're talking about. There's classrooms for training. Um, there's a, a beautiful space for our, our prayer room looking over four ways. Like we're looking out at this, the valley on that side. You can see the whole valley. Um, it's in a, a shopping center that um, pumps. It's, you know, you're, you're talking about street ministry is go downstairs and start telling people about Jesus. Um, it's just there's something that the Lord's doing. Where he's putting us in a location where he's increasing our, our impact and our reach. Okay? But now I hold that with fear and trembling because what God's cultivating in this room is vital. And when, when there's growth or when there's expansion, we've got to be real careful to make sure we hold fast to the values that he's built inside of us as a house. It's why we're talking like this. It's why we're... Do you get what I'm saying? I, I just know in my heart that it's, it's always about a people. It's never, never about a place. And so we're not attached to a venue. We're not attached to the new venue. We're not attached to this venue. If the Lord closes that door, you know, that, okay, that's the Lord. But it's, He seems to be opening it and, and, and leading us to walk through it. But my encouragement is that we could be under a tree right now and it would be the same weighty glory. It would be the same Jesus. This is, that's what we're after. And we want hundreds and thousands, millions, billions of people to encounter Jesus and to, to come into the family of God where they can be discipled in that way. Are you with me? So I'm asking you to pray with us because it's a very strategic time for 24-7. And I don't want to do anything unless it's the Lord. I don't want to walk through any doors unless it's Him. We're holding on to His voice. But you, this is us together as a family. So please be praying with us, standing with us in faith. Um, and we'll have more and more input and, and feedback throughout the week. I pray this morning that, if anything, again, you're just being provoked and, and challenged not to settle for this world, not to settle for life around you, but to be rooted and grounded in the love of God for you and to know that He has a dream. We're it. Like we're, we're the dream of God, and He's called us to reach others. And so you're in a community that's not going to settle for comfortable, high-five, nice latte at the door, one-hour services. You're just not, that's, we're not us. We're going for this thing. I don't know if you, if you don't believe me, after the service, come look me in the eye. I'll prove it to you. We're, we're, we're going for it. We're not holding back. We're going to give everything, our whole lives. Because we're one generation away from seeing the Great Commission fulfilled, statistically. So I think it's time to cut the nonsense and give it flames. Right? <laughs> Is that a thing? Flames? Yeah, I like it. Okay. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt, yeah. Okay. I'm going to end there and we'll, we'll keep diving into this week after week. I want to pray for us and I want to really again urge you to come tonight. It's going to be fun um, and, and really special as well. Um, and this week, if I can just give you one practical tool, when you wake up tomorrow, just understand why you're alive. Just wake up and, and choose the low place. Choose the low place. And let God be God. Let Him do. He'll lead you. He'll He'll bring the answers. He'll give you the decisions. Whatever He knows what you need at this time. Just choose the low place. Die to yourself. Love Him. Love people. 
It's the gospel, amen? You probably need to go back and listen to these things. I do. I'll be listening to it tomorrow uh, from my own heart. But I'm really grateful for you. I'm grateful for this house. I'm grateful for a family that love Jesus, love each other. And, um, you know, can I just tell you how amazing you are that when our team takes photos and puts photos on social media, we have people contacting us going, your people are always smiling and happy and hugging. And like every photo is just wild hugs. And I love it. That's what God's called us to model. Amen. Can we stand? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, your grace. We thank you for what you're doing in 24-7. It's our joy to be your people. It's our joy to be your house. And so, God, I, I ask right now that as you've encouraged us this morning, as you've encouraged my heart and even us as a house, I just pray, Lord, that every word that's from your heart would cut deep into our spirit and our soul and bring transformation, life, hope, and awaken the dream of God in us. God, wherever we need to repent or wherever we also need to just choose the low place and, and just choose humility, even where it's not about getting it right, it's just about choosing that soft heart. Lord, I thank you that you would do that in us right now. And God, I also ask that you would stir up such a zeal, it's your zeal, not our own, the zeal of the Lord that you have for your house. Stir it in us, God, that we are so privileged. It's such a joy to be yours. It's such a joy to follow Jesus together. And so, Lord, we pray this morning. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come right here, Lord, in 24-7 as it is in heaven, in our lives, and also in our city, in our nation, and to the ends of the earth. God, would you make us a 24-7 expression of the dream of God? That's our, that's our cry. That's our prayer. We know that there's so much ahead, but Lord, we just, we're holding on to you, and we just want to say yes to what you're doing. Yes to who you are. Make us first responders to your voice. In Jesus' name, we love you. We honor you. We worship you. And thank you for good coffee and fellowship as well and a beautiful day together. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for staying a bit longer. Have some good coffee and we'll see you tonight. 5.30 for 6.00.